Dateline, the future. Humankind stretches out to the stars. Maybe they go on generation ships. Maybe they live on space stations. Maybe terraforming bases dominate the worlds of tomorrow. In these hostile places, only two things seem certain. With people come conflicts. And in manufactured environments, the wrong kind of conflict will damage your air supply. So forget regular guns, needle lasers, ray guns, and anything else that can screw up your habitat. I want stories where the violence and conflict depend on ingeniously adapting ancient weapons to future environments, where this technological shift solves old social problems and creates new ones, and where cultures and religions arise around those weapons and provide them contexts, both accepted and outlaw, within their societies. Give me swashbucklers, knife fighters, booby trappers, baton wielders, pirates, mafiosos, Robin Hoods, cops, priests, robbers, fugitives, and assassins. Give me swords in space. This is a paying market. Submit your story to editor at everydaynovelist.com. Be sure to use the phrase swords in space in the subject line. 8,000 words maximum, 2,000 words minimum. See you on the slush pile. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 1006. Today we hear from Nicole, who asks, So I'm going through my story and trying to weed out the passive voice, was, were, have, had, but I wanted to ask about telling what a character did in their past. For example, when writing about something a character did in the past, you don't weed out the was, were, have, had, right? Otherwise, I'm not quite sure how to convey the past. So this. On this day, Bob was sitting on the park bench and was happily munching on cosmic flips. Just this morning, Bob had heard a song by his favorite band, the Wampa Wampa Huts, and it was now buzzing merrily on repeat in his head. Should become... On this day, Bob sat on the park bench eating peanuts. Just this morning, Bob had heard a song by his favorite band, the Wampa Wampa Hats, and it now buzzed merrily in his head on repeat. Okay, so uh, there's a uh, there's a basic misunderstanding about the passive voice that I think I'll be able to clear up that should be able to help. The passive voice has to do with subject-object inversion. For example, Dan ate the pizza. Not only is this a factual statement anytime there is pizza around, but it is an active statement as well. On the other hand, the pizza was eaten by Dan. While it is a factual statement, it is not an active one, because Dan is the object and not the subject. The pizza thus becomes passive because it's not doing anything. It is being done too, and Dan becomes relegated to a sort of abstract cause. So the pizza is the subject in that sentence, but it's not doing anything. It's having stuff done to it. So the quick and 
dirty way to get rid of the passive voice is to eliminate your state of being verbs as much as possible. Not have, had, was. Those are tense markers. State of being verbs are am, is, um, was, at least was in a, not in a, as a tense marker, but as a state of being verb. Anything that deals with something being something, as opposed to something doing something, or your state of being verbs. So, the quick and dirty is to try to write without state of being verbs. Dan is standing. Okay, yeah, but Dan stood. Right? Neither of those are passive constructions, but Dan stood feels more active because you don't have a state of being that is being described. You have an action that is being described. However, if you eliminate state of being verbs, you cannot say, standing was done by Dan. <laughs> right? That's the passive construction, and it's completely out. If you don't have a state of being verbs, you can't have that happen. Was done by was blah 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 by by is another significant marker if you've got by in your predicate chances are you've got a passive construction but that's the real trick to eliminate passive voice make sure that your subject is doing something to your object don't have your subject being done to by your object that's basically it now there are times when you want to use the passive voice for example if you are communicating in euphemism Passive voice is key to euphemism. Passive voice is a really good way to hide information in a mystery. In plain sight. Passive voice is a way that, that a character who is severely traumatized might soften what happened to them. Well, it, it's also a way that someone who feels no agency will think about the world. It's also something that might work in um, legal matters. Oh, God, yes. And whatnot, because if... Yeah, things that are formal, that are academic, that are euphemistic, anything like that will be very, very passive voice heavy. Because one of the things the passive voice does is it obscures, sometimes actually eliminates, but it certainly rhetorically obscures implicit judgment. If you're trying to avoid assigning blame, you'll use the passive voice. Mistakes were made. Not person made mistakes. Just mistakes were made, and the, the reason that's passive is that there is an implicit but unspoken by us. But if mistakes were made by us, it seems much less dire and responsibility demanding than I fucked up, or even I made a mistake. Mistakes were made. It's soft. It, get, it circumvents responsibility. And that's why people, uh, why, why people, and especially characters, who have a feeling of having no agency, um, will think in the passive voice, which is a time when you might want to bring it into your writing. But uh, that's, uh, that's a, I think that's actually a pretty complete tour of the passive voice. I so, think so, yeah. So, yeah, but thank you very much for the question. And uh, it's a... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. Oh, uh, I should say, um, there is one. There is. Uh, there are two reasons that authors can default to the passive voice, and these are worth keeping in mind. The first is that if you were raised on the Bible or classic literature or high fantasy, your ear is trained to hear 
linguistic beauty in a certain rhythm. Um, the Bible, uh, especially the King James Version, is written in blank verse. Shakespeare is written in blank verse. Spoken English in the rhythm of unrhyming iambic pentameter is very, very beautiful. Um, the series Deadwood, the entire series is written in blank verse. It's one of the reasons Deadwood was so spectacular. The language was so amazing. It 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 gave you this sense of denseness and intensity and emotional bigness that you don't get in westerns that are written more realistically. Um, you can get it through other things, but you don't get it through the language. So writers who were steeped in the more verbally oriented traditions at an early age may gravitate towards passive voice for a really weird reason. It requires more words. So you have more opportunities to create that beautiful spoken uh, English rhythm that that hits us on such a deep level because that's it, it's sort of the basic construction of the English language. But... The cool thing is, you don't have to use the passive voice to establish a poetic cadence. And watching Deadwood is actually a really good way to learn this because there is not a lot of passive voice in Deadwood. In fact, it's a very active voice most of the time, and yet it's all in blank verse. So watch a few episodes of Deadwood and you'll, you'll start to get an idea of how you can pull this off without defaulting to the passive voice, which is kind of a crutch that we all fall into at some point if we have a background in that kind of literature. The second reason is that, that authors fall into this is that if you are detail-oriented, or if you're a fan of suspenseful movies, you can establish suspense using the passive voice because you're hiding the subject. The car was stolen by Bob. Right? Each one of those things, like you're, you're, you're hiding the important part of the sentence till the end. Who's the criminal? It's Bob. But you don't find that out till the very end. It's a really easy way. You start off with the object, you hold on the object, you show something happening to the object, and you then you show the subject that did the happening. Um, it allows you to hold the actual um, the actual subject of the sentence in abeyance until you can bring it in and punch it at the end. But it's kind of a cheap trick, and it only works so much. It's worth keeping it in reserve to use that cheap trick at exactly the right time. That's, for example, a great way to close out a cliffhanger. But if you're using it all the time, it's not going to have a punch. But it is something to keep in your back pocket. But doing it badly because it's easy is one of the reasons uh, our authors gravitate towards the passive voice. So keep those two things in mind. You can establish the poetic cadence without using the passive voice, and you can use the passive voice to create tremendous suspense and action, but only if you use it really sparingly and at the right time. So avoiding it is generally advisable, but... Um, but you don't want to throw out... Yeah, you don't want to throw out, you don't want to throw out the tool, um, and you don't want to wreck your own voice in doing it. But what you want to do is you want to... You want to write in such a way that you don't create sort of an artificial gauzy mist between 
your reader and what he's reading, which overuse of the passive voice will do, because it makes everything feel inconsequential. Um, and the way that you get around that is to use the active voice, because the active voice is chiefly concerned with actions and consequences, not states of being. That's So, uh, yeah, I think I've got it surrounded there. But um, thank you very much for the question, and good luck in rooting out the passive voice anywhere you don't need it. We'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty Nakian and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation, submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat, or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.